have with us Commodore Shashadri Vasan, who's a director of Chennai Center for China Studies, and he's worked in the Indian Navy and Indian Coast Guard for over 34 years, holding several important command and staff appointments. He is one among the most prominent China affairs experts in India. Welcome, Commodore. Thank you very much. Uh, Commodore, let's begin this conversation uh, with the status of India-China standoff on the line of actual control, which began three years ago. What is the status of the standoff? Yeah, thank you for that question. You know, it's something that is, uh, uh, you know, something of a great concern to us in India. Uh, China seems to be happy with the status quo, notwithstanding the number of meetings that have taken place at different levels, at the military level, at the diplomatic level, at the political level. A lot of conversation has taken place, but nothing has changed. On the contrary, uh, what we have seen is evidence of uh, infrastructure build up on, on their side and on their side of the LAC. Uh, we also try to match them uh, for brick for brick, but that's a long way off and it, it drains our economy. So China's calculation must be that, you know, they are able to absorb this better. Whereas, you know, India would be hardly hit uh, being uh, our size of economy is just one fifth that of China. And so that's one calculation. And it's also that uh, what happened in Ukraine perhaps has, uh, you know, cautioned them on, on the length of any war and, uh, and the kind of economic distress that they have to face. So uh, there are serious concerns on this, and I think for the first time, the, the government of India, the external affairs minister, has made it very clear that business cannot be uh, usual. Uh, I know unless we uh, restore the status quo as in April uh, 19. So, but that is not happening as I can see. So it's it's hard time on our side, and we need to prepare this. That's why you know we are looking at many options, including including uh, shoring up of our military defense capabilities our alliances. So all this is something that is working progress. So, but to so, sort out this issue, it will take a little more uh, time in my assessment. So let me let me interrupt you here and uh, tell our audience, why do you think China is happy with the status quo? It's like this, you know, it's something, you know, it's like, uh, as they say in uh, Hindi and also in some of the Indian languages, uh, it's hot ghee. Neither can you swallow it, nor can you spit it out. So. <laughs> That is a situation they are also in. And also they are driven by a lot of domestic compulsions as of date. They can't be seen as uh, giving in to uh, India's uh, strong position internationally and bilaterally. So the domestic compulsions, the, the COVID which has hit them recently, which also drove them to sh shut down Shanghai for more than a uh, uh, you know, few weeks, is something that it shows that the internal dynamics are also making them go slow or even if they had some kind of a, uh, uh, you know, ambition uh, to sort out India once for all along the LAC. So this is why they have not been able to do much. So they would rather be happy with the present position where there is no... Can you, can you please elaborate on domestic compulsions? What are Xi Jinping's domestic compulsions in China? No, no, all the China watchers keenly look at the domestic developments. You know, the COVID did not affect... Uh, uh, other nations, but it also affected the place from where it originated. You know, in everybody's assessment, it's quite clear that it was Wuhan and China. So it's gone back. Like many people say it's uh, a return to the parents. You know, that's what the media says. 
So the point is that the COVID did go back and uh, you know they've been affected. And the zero COVID policy domestically is something that has affected them very, very seriously. You know, when you have a zero COVID policy, it means that you're shutting down families, you're not allowing children to go to schools, you're separating children from parents. So this is creating a certain amount of domestic turmoil. And you know, it's being discussed in uh, Weibo, WeChat, and their forums which are there. And so the government is obviously concerned. While they are trying to, you know, recently they have said that Shanghai is opened up, it has caused economic disruption. If you are in the center of the global supply chain, you know, you need to ensure that your manufacturing, your supply chains and all that are active. So that has been affected. So it has hit China domestically. And also uh, he's trying to consolidate his position that Xi Jinping, you know, as the leader, undisputed leader. So he's looking at the, the re-anointment uh, uh, as the emperor of the Middle Kingdom uh, in, the, in this month. So, you know, obviously they do not want anything where they are going to burn their hands and perhaps spoil his chances of being uh, reappointed. There are also reports that not everything is hunky-dory between him and his prime minister, but this is media speculation. We do not know how, how the CCP would look at this. So this is what I, I was referring to when I spoke about the domestic compulsions and disturbances, which affect the way they deal with others. They also try to expand their spheres of influence, just as India is trying to do it in Indian Ocean. They are also trying to do it in the Pacific Ocean and also in the Indian Ocean region. So it does bring in uh, a dynamics of power play both in the Indian Ocean and the Pacific region, a confluence of which is being today referred to as the Indo-Pacific. So um, my uh, question is that the because of the war in Ukraine, uh, Russia, you know, China and India seem to be on the same side of the aisle uh, as far as uh, their position on Russia goes because on the one hand, you know, India has joined Cod, but on the other hand, India remains a part of BRICS. India has joined IPEF, but uh, India has also been neutral in uh, the war in Ukraine. In fact, it abstained from voting in the United Nations on almost, uh, in fact, all on all votes against Russia. And China has maintained also a similar position vis-a-vis -vis Russia. Are we saying that India and China can actually come to some common ground with which it can resolve issues and uh, they don't necessarily have to be enemies of each other? Uh, it's a good point that you have made and a lot of good observations uh, which can uh, you know, be analyzed in detail. As far as our stand on Ukraine is concerned, I think the government of the day has made it very clear that uh, there are uh, issues of dependence on uh, Russian military. That's not the only reason why we abstain from voting. It's also reason to reason because of the double standards that are applied uh, by the West and US. Now, uh, a specific example of oil and gas. I think the National Affairs Minister made it very clear that you know the amount of uh, oil or gas that you import, even after this kind of sanctions is concerned. <coughs> is not even 1% of, of what the US and the West import. So this clearly demonstrate the, uh, the double standards that are being applied in terms of how they want to want India to toe their line. So this is one consideration. The other thing is it's very clear, it's in public knowledge that 60 to 70% of our military hardware, critical military hardware, which is now keeping China at its bay, comes from Russia. Likewise, we also getting weapons from the uh, 
from US, from France, from Israel, other uh, places. So we continue to be uh, a major arms importer. And according to CIPRI, we are number one importer of arms around the world. So we can't be in a situation where any of them are given ample reasons to turn off critical war supplies. So this is one of the primary considerations which is there. Other aspect is which is I think uh, the external affairs minister made it very clear uh, during the recent uh, interview with uh, the European uh, uh, counterparts to say that uh, look, you know, what are we talking about? Uh, you know, the Europe's war, according to you, is uh, a war that is be looked at by the world. Whereas if something else is happening elsewhere in other parts of the world, it's not Europe's war. So, you know, so this is where uh, he's made it very clear that, uh, you know, India continues to follow what's called the strategic autonomy, which has been discussed in many forums, which is that we align with our interests. So what drivers interests will compel us to take the decisions one way or the other. So that's what explains how we abstained uh, in the case of uh, this uh, absentation uh, when, when it was voted. Other point about whether China and India can mend fences because of, uh, you know, some of these so-called confluence of ideas in these forums, uh, that's something it's, it's, it's difficult. Not that it's not achievable, but, you know, uh, with the hard kind of uh, stand that's taken by China in terms of LAC, you know, they're quite okay with, uh, the you know, something being resolved with Myanmar based on the McMahon line. But the same McMahon is anathema to them. So this is again a question of what suits them. They would like to keep So why act. do you think, let me interrupt you, why do you think that China has a very uh, hostile approach towards India and not any other immediate neighbor? No, no, I think we are the only uh, big country in South Asia. In fact, the largest economy and, you know, who can be seen by China as a competitor. And also the kind of influence that uh, despite its uh, economic differential, uh, that it uh, wields in the international arena with the West, with the liberal democracies, it, it seems to anger China. Uh, of course, the historical reasons of our uh, keeping Dalai Lama with us, the Tibet issue, uh, you know, and also the fact that we did not join the BRI, you know, on the contrary, we, we even uh, abstained from attending the Belt and Road Forum. So all these have been looked at as something that uh, where India is not only a competitor, but perhaps challenges the position that China would like to occupy. So uh, despite the, uh, the fact that uh, we are economically so much more weaker, if we can challenge the might of China, so that obviously that's, that's something which is looked at as uh, a, a factor of great discomfiture uh, for the leadership in China. So that explains why they, they would like to uh, toy a hard line. Now let me uh, um, come to back, come back to the standoff uh, at the LAC. Despite the standoff, India and China bilateral trade has been going on. Nothing has really changed. In fact, uh, even during the coronavirus pandemic, the trade went on. But we continually see a trade deficit because China doesn't import as much from India. What is it between India and China that prevents China from sharing an equal partnership in trade with India? Continued imports despite the standoff is because of the supply chains that were established by China for decades. So it became the center of the universe in terms of supplying manufactured goods, APIs, you know, mobiles, uh, high critical components, heavy machinery, electrical goods, you name it, they had become the manufacturing hub of the world. Therefore, it's not only just with India, 
but it's also with other countries that they continued to <coughs> uh, hold us to hostage by uh, a simple thing like API. The example which is already been given is that you know here we're not even able to manufacture what we want unless the APIs are given. At one stage we are ahead of China. So uh, you know this is where, but we find that you know India is trying to diversify, and you know which is where the resilient supply chain initiative of the Indo-Pacific, uh, the Quad initiative comes in. Because everyone, every partner knows that you cannot overnight kick China out of the supply chain mechanisms that it has established. Assiduously for decades. So how do you get out? You have to plan for it, which is where you find the usefulness of Quad where they are investing heavily in terms of uh, trying to get SNT initiatives on their side, uh, exchanges of uh, people on their side. But today what's happened is that uh, while we are importing heavily from China, we also started uh, improving our relations with USA. In fact, our trade relations with USA are such that they have become number one trade partner with India, you know, as of uh, last count. So obviously this efforts for diversification of your de dependent, if I may use that word, is something that is work in progress. It's not going to happen over time. So you will see this pattern of our continued import from China for maybe another five years or more, depending on how you see the benefits of this uh, diversification, you know, accruing to you uh, in a matter of time. It's not going to happen over time. India has joined uh, Indo-Pacific Economic uh, Framework and uh, in fact uh, rejected RCEP, which is led by China. What do you think is the future of these two frameworks? Who do you think is going to eventually have the upper hand? It's almost like a, you know trade competition of two different blocks. Uh, one is led by the US and one is led by China. So where do you see this competition going? No. Uh... China, you know, recently when uh, the IPF was uh, launched, uh, had a lot of reservations and said this is also going to fizzle out. No, they said the same thing about the Quad when Quad was launched. So I am quite certain that IPF is not something that's going to fizzle out because there are a uh, lot of advantages, but India also has its own challenges. Having rocked out of the RCEP, there was no other platform through which it could engage with the Southeast Asian economies. And when you look at the composition of the members of IPF, you found seven out of 10 ASEAN members are part of this. 70% of the ASEAN membership is now present in IPF. So while we continue to talk about bilateral relations, free trade agreements, you know, etc. But then, but then, but then they are also with, uh, they are also uh, trading with China. Uh, Southeast Asian countries uh, seem to be keeping everyone happy. And uh, there is nothing wrong with that. Okay, the specific uh, reservations that we have as far as the IPF is concerned, that's from the informed public here, is that would it be something that would only benefit USA? That is a question that's being asked. Mainly because of issues related to data transfer, localization of data, and also the fact that you know this will uh, result in a lot of business to uh, data-driven companies in USA. This is one concern which is there. But simultaneously, like I said, uh, you are very right in uh, saying that uh, ASEAN countries would like to balance both and get them both. Look at Sri Lanka. That's what they try to do by involving playing the China card in India and India card in China. Have they benefited? I know the answers are there for everybody to see. So, you know, even ASEAN countries now are in a difficult situation 
they can't displace china therefore a lot of this will continue to play up but they are also part of another system that is developing which is the ipa so what it does is it indirectly applies pressure on china in the process china may uh, change its behavior which is good overall you know if the code of conduct comes into play because they do not want to displace the asean members it's good for stability in the indo pacific region but is that what we are trying to achieve in ipf like i said we are not part of rcep we are still trying to see whether we can have ftas with these countries on a bilateral motion so ipf gives you some kind of uh, even if it is data exchanges and uh, data driven policies after all that is the way the future world will be it will be a digital world so let's remain relevant in that area where even our own digital commerce you know being number one in the it service sector the digital uh, rules will continue to be applied globally and they'll be more stringent so therefore i think we have a certain amount of advantage with reservations you know there are many caveats there you know that's being identified by the economic experts i'm not one but i would like to say that you know wherever there are opportunities we need to be looking at whether it's quad or whether it's ipf to look at what can it offer than trying to already say from the word go that it will not work in our favor so i'd rather look at it as an advantage and not as a disadvantage let us uh, in a way i mean you have uh, you have answered my next question uh, even before i asked it but i'm still going to ask that it seems that uh, the world is now going through another kind of cold war we are not calling it cold war but it is cold war because america despite the fact that um, america has for a very long time been saying that uh, china's uh, occupation of south china sea is not acceptable and despite the fact that it has uh, it has taken a tough stand on taiwan we do not see china holding itself back or changing its behavior if that is the objective so are we saying that uh, in even though you are saying that there is an advantage to ipf there are advantages to all these pressure tactics but in terms of results are we seeing any change in china's behavior or any change in xi jinping's regime china will continue to be on its course which is already predecided that by 2025 it will be a technologically efficient country by 2049 it will be uh, you know something which will be prosperous uh, and indirectly what is not said is that they will also be the middle kingdom of the world so that that's that's something which it's the course so what xi jinping and the party would look at these challenges as impediments that need to be overcome whether it's taiwan whether it's himalayan ranges where the nsc transgressions have taken place or whether it is south china sea or the challenges that are being now posed by america because uh, joe biden has clearly said that uh, yes in the case of taiwan we will militarily intervene no i am not sure whether we can walk the talk the point is that the message has gone to say that we are not going to sit quiet and let you take over and and china is also learning a lot of lessons from ukraine you know what everybody said was a walkover in 7 days has gone down to 100 days so it is quite clear that the 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 contours of warfare have changed so it would like to assimilate the lessons before it enters into anything else so let's say it it's it's crosswire was taiwan take over by let's say 2030 for example that would defer defer it by another couple of years till it is consolidated its position on the issue of whether china you know is does not feel the pinch uh, i would like to say that it definitely feels the pinch remember japan put away something like 2 billion dollars for relocation of factories vietnam gained 
is part of the ASEAN. 23 countries relocated in Vietnam. So does not China fill the pinch of having lost the labor, having lost the investment from Japan in some of the critical areas where uh, Japan decided to pull out from uh, China? So, you know, it is not that China is not affected. It is that, that they would like to apply those course corrections using the, the reserves that they have. The biggest advantage they have is finances. Even the BRI, you know, that is something like three trillion dollars or whatever which they amount, is a phenomenal amount of money. And you know, as long as they have countries where the trade deficit is in its favor, it is the money that's available to them through the trade deficit. You know, if you have trade deficit of let's say 80 uh, billion dollars with India, that's the money that goes into the China POK economic corridor. So yeah, they are they are not short of funds. So wherever, because of the fact that they are well entrenched in the supply chain systems, they continue to, to rule the rooster. So this is where their courses may not change, but there will be certain amount of modification. Well, let me come to the neighborhood again. Uh, Sri Lanka and Pakistan especially. What is the status of CPEC and where do you see China-Pakistan uh, Pakistan relationship going in future? Because... Uh, as far as uh, in terms of uh, their position, China's position on Kashmir, China's position on some of the issues, uh, in fact, even 370, they took a very pro-Pakistan line. Uh, where do you see that relationship going? One, vis-a-vis uh, -vis CPEC, and second, with respect to India. China has always held the hand of Pakistan. You know, they have also gone to the extent of saying that, you know, it is deeper than the oceans, higher than the sky. And all these poetic uh, terms have been used to describe their relationship. That only uh, indicates that they are willing to go to any extent to, uh, you know, ensure that somebody who is inimical to India is sustained, nurtured. Now, that's one card that they can play against us. And also, the other aspect of China's interest in Pakistan is strategic, which is also to access Afghanistan and also North Arabian Sea. You know, the Gwadar is all about accessing this and overcoming the Malacca dilemma. Uh, which we all have discussed in the past. So, as far as energy security is concerned, Pakistan uh, plays an important role uh, in the energy security dynamics of uh, China, which is why Pakistan is important. In addition, the investments that they are talking about, you know, which I always refer to as China POK economic corridor, and not as China Pakistan economic corridor, because China Pakistan economic corridor legitimizes their uh, holding of our areas. So I always mentioned to this as the China POK economic corridor. So the China POK economic corridor, where a lot of investments have gone in, there are two, three factors here. One is that, you know, while China is committed to green energy, it has no qualms in exporting uh, uh, polluting thermal plants to Pakistan or anybody who is on the BRI, which is, again, double standards. I will be clean, but I will ensure that whatever was, uh, you know, polluting my country will be exported to Pakistan, Burma, uh, wherever they are required. But the extent of help that it has given to Pakistan is limited. Analysis tells you that on, on, on high-tech investments, it is Chinese workers, Chinese engineers, Chinese supervisors who are sitting there. So the local population is only doing menial jobs. The same thing was the case with Sri Lanka. So that's something which, which angers the local population. And, you know, there were protests uh, not only in Pakistan, but even in Sri Lanka uh, on some of the issues where they found that, you know, the as promised, uh, the phenomenal amount of uh, uh, labor that would benefit it has not happened. So coming to Sri Lanka, uh, the Sri Lanka has realized that, you know, you cannot ignore a neighbor like India who rushes to, they, you know, with medical, with fertilizers, with tsunami, 
you know, any time that there is a crisis, India has always rushed to their help. Geography, educate by geography. You know, within uh, within 12 hours, you are in Sri Lanka. And uh, therefore, and with Hamban Tota, they realized that, you know, uh, this was uh, something that was promised. They promised a moon. They didn't even get up the start. So th this is the situation. And uh, the Rajapaksas had to be squarely blamed for the mess that they're in because they went the Chinese way. Apparently, a lot of money uh, was made by the Rajapaksa family and it did not reach the common man. So many of the freebies, the freebie culture that came into Sri Lanka, again, is something that, that has devastated that country and you can see the results of it. So that has made Sri Lanka also, you know, change politically, choose a new uh, dispensation. But again, but the ground situation is that it's not going to uh, improve in a hurry. So every country where China has had some role to play is realizing that it's perhaps not in their best interest to continue with the kind of engagements, which is predominantly a win-win for China and not so much for uh, the countries uh, where uh, uh, BRI is a destination. So that's a point that we need to remember all the time. One last question. What is your assessment of Xi Jinping? It's like this, you know, he's a dynamic leader. We must grant him that because, you know, from 2012 when he's come on, there are many of the initiatives which are taken up, you know, and he's also quite proactive, you know, come to think of it, obviously, but the dream was all about making China big. But when China has to be big, according to his assessment, Xi Jinping had to be the uh, unopposed leader for life. And he was already anointed the leader for life. Uh, so the CCP is important. And, you know, as everyone tells you that it's only a minority. Uh, the CCP is a minority in their country and everybody is a party member. But there's a minority that rules the country that's been so since uh, uh, 49. So that, that's a long uh, history of leaders. So he's only the third leader uh, who's got this kind of a qualification to lead their country in the assessment. But any dissent, any form of dissent today, he's in a better position to control it because of the artificial intelligence, because of face recognition, because of the stringent measures that are applied, and because of the loyalists. And you know, these the narratives are being managed all the time. But then, you know, remember, we just had the Tiananmen uh, uh, 33rd anniversary just the other day. Everything that, you know, even a, a prayer kind of a thing was uh, stopped. So, you know, it's very clear that uh, the state has full control about every single individual because of the fact that the social credit systems and all that are linked to mobiles. You know what a guy is doing. You know, the, so the entire thing is, is, is a police uh, state. So in an authoritarian state where there is a single leader, while there may be a certain amount of dissent, the, with the number of laws that surround him, uh, he is in a position to control the narrative. Whether there would be some kind of uh, a revolutionary process that will come from within, we have to wait and see. Well, thank you so much, Commodore. It's been an enlightening session with you on China today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, nice uh, uh, being here and thank you for the opportunity.